Market. The S&P, the ISX stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the very special, very impressive, very, well, not very unusual and not very surprising, but the regular special Motley Fool Mailbag. Edition. I'm Scott Phillips, and with me, as always, Dr. Neil Mahanti. G'day, buddy. How are you? <laughs> G'day, buddy. I'm good. <laughs> now, fools, I will give you a little bit of a look behind the curtain. It turns out that my ability to charge our audio recorder is not as good as it should be. And so uh, we're going to desperately hope we can get the battery to last all the way through this podcast, or that we can change the battery well. But if it all of a sudden drops out and, you know, the end disappears, well, you've been warned. Uh, mate, I'm not. Like, luckily, <laughs> as an investor, I'm, well, like I'm a better investor technician, put it that way. That's good. That's better than nothing. That's better than nothing. <laughs> that's, all we can, that's all we can take from this debacle. I will desperately do my best. I've got some extra AA batteries aside here. Um, unfortunately, God love it, the machine won't actually charge and record at the same time, which that seems very a, strange this day and age, just not? Yeah. That, that seems like it's an ancient machine. It's all very Maybe random. you need a new machine. I probably do. I probably do. All right. Um, let's, let's, let's move on from the go. tangent. <laughs> all right. Question from Michael, mate. This is a great one to start with. Hey, Scott and Doc. Love your work. I've got a question for the pod, if I may, as it's currently reporting season, or it was. What are some of the key things to look for in an annual report? And this is what I like. That indicates strong future growth potential. I know rising earnings per share is one, but I'm not completely sure why. If you guys could shed some light on that and other areas to look at in the annual report, that would be great. Thanks very much. Much appreciated. Hashtag full on. Hashtag get doc on Strava. I happen to know Strava is a bike riding app that lets you record your uh, all your rides around town. You can map it and do the times and all that kind of stuff. So are you likely to join yeah, Strava so anytime soon? Yes, I have actually. I had used Strava. Strava oh, is a coach. There you uh, go. It's an AI coach. It coaches you on your exercises and tells nice. you. It's not necessarily just for it's for walking. Oh, really? Yeah. It's oh, that's not cool. necessarily for biking. A lot of different things. I've used it. So you are on Strava. We finally found no, some. Oh. I was. It's too expensive. So close. I, so I just close. gave up. It's just... <laughs> It's like twenty dollars a month or something Come like on, that. But it's, it's uh, I guess if it's a complete gym replacement, it's fine. There you go. Um, but well, save the twenty bucks. But, <laughs> but that was that. Now I like this question, mate, because we all know, and I'm sure Michael knows, that the past is the past, and the future is the future. And unfortunately, both in finance, we have to say, past performance is no guarantee. In life, past performance also no guarantee. But can we use the annual report and try to get some hints as to what the future might hold? Yeah, so we can. Yes and no. Like, I mean, so think about a typical growth company, right? A growth company would be expanding into or growing into a market. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could look at past numbers and past performance to see, I guess, a couple of things, right? What mm. management and team are saying about their product and services. Okay. Right. What they've said mm-hmm. and what they've delivered. So track record counts. Track record counts. Not just in the numbers, but actually in management's kind of ability to do what they promise. Exactly. Man- management's ability to do what they promise. And sometimes, you know, if your management is stuck with a dud product or service, that you know, they could be the best people mm. on the planet, but they would not be able to deliver. And on the other side, you might have the best product, services, thing, mm. gadget, widget, whatever it is, and you've got <laughs> rubbish management. It's mm, not going to mm, work, mm. right? So all of those things, so there's a combination really, yeah, yeah. really matters. Uh, and then I think what you are really trying to assess is sort of, you know, how's the market expanding and what's our opportunity there? Mm. And you're trying to see as over time, is the business getting some sort of scale mm. and leverage and, you know, so, you know, with a fixed amount of cost, how much more can you squeeze out is 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 sort of what you're looking for. 
So I think there's absolute value there. Right. Uh, and then, of course, there are other finer details and points. Management typically would provide guidance. They would provide, um, mm. you know, so-called color on what happened. And you can try to read through the in between the lines. You have to always read in between the lines because <laughs> yeah. nobody's going to say, well, you know, everything <laughs> was bad That's because right. we were really bad operators. Actually, actually, our business is terrible. I'm not very good at this job. Yeah, exactly. please, please buy the shares and please pay me my million dollar yeah. salary. Yeah, yeah nobody's yeah. going to say that. No. So, so, <laughs> so you have to read between the lines and see, okay, we didn't make those sales uh. because of this reason. Oh, is it one off? Or is it, you know, and you get a sign of, is it one off? And is it happening again and again and again? So those sort of things. Um, yeah, a lot of that and basically you're looking to see whether there's traction or not mm-hmm. and you know earnings per share growth would show up um, if there is earnings right mm-hmm. and some companies are you know yeah, near right. about zero earnings right. um, you know they're not yet there and that's also okay you'd see that in top line numbers but you'd hope to see mm. um, you know uh, increasing margins and things awesome. like that and you know um operating expenses not growing as fast mm-hmm. as the sales and things like that. So you want to see all of those move in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, th- I think I, I, agree with, I agree completely. The, the key point I make, Michael, is these are probabilistic indicators, not absolute indicators. If, if it was that easy, everyone would do it already, right? So the, that's the other thing is like, you know, if, if it was possible to be able to say, well, look for these two numbers and if they're there, you buy the shares. Everyone would do it and the shares would be too expensive because you also want to get a decent return, right? So you want to work out what company to buy, but also what's a decent price to pay for that company's shares. I'm going to say, you know, Doc, listening to you talk then, um, two, two thoughts, or two opposing thoughts. The first is, as our co-founder David Gardner likes to keep saying, winners tend to keep winning, right? Winners win. And so to some degree, if you've got a company that is winning, um, it's not going to keep doing that. And, and that's a good sign. So if you've got some numbers uh, that show that things are improving, then that's a good sign that they're doing something well. Um, and so that, that is probably going to continue. On the flip side, wasn't that long ago Woolies was delivering best margins in the world for groceries. It wasn't that long ago David Jones, a bit longer ago, was showing great growth. The problem was they did those things by, like, for example, David Jones by underinvesting in um, IT and, and in-store experience, right? So you strip out costs and make your numbers look really good. Uh, and that would have met all of Doc's tests on, on margins and, and growth and sales. And that all sounded good, except that it was unsustainable. And all of a sudden, at some point, you got to pay the piper. And DJs had to pay the piper. Woolies was just simply cyclically, you know, it was a cyclical growth story rather than structural growth story. So all those numbers went in the right direction until they stopped because, you know, higher margins meant higher prices than otherwise might have been. That was just for Coles did their down-down campaign and drag all these margins down to match them and the share price went from 38 to 20 bucks. Now it went back up again. So again, you could argue, well, over six or seven years, shares haven't gone down. That's true. Um, so it's both, right? You, you got to be mindful of that. I think... To my mind, Doc, I would agree with you. It's a sign of getting things done. That they're they're getting things done. They're doing something right. Now, it doesn't mean they're doing the right things right, or those things will continue. And again, I'm sorry, Michael, not to give you an easy answer, but if investing was easy, a computers would do it, and b everyone else would do it. So there's got to be some sort of uh, you know squishy stuff that isn't as easily accessible by the numbers. Um, but generally speaking, you know, getting it done is good. The other thing is, I, I I tend to like you know I'm not a super growth investor like Doc, but if I think about you know revenue growth. I often use the phrase that you know companies are becoming more relevant to more people more often. So if you can find greater numbers of customers or those customers spending more with you or those customers spending more often with you, that's a really good sign that your product or service is actually doing something well. And so growing revenue is nowhere near the only part of it. But if you've got growing revenue, and I guess the thing I would say is understand why, right? So the numbers themselves aren't enough. But if you can see a company with growing revenue, you're like, I wonder what they're doing differently. I wonder what they're doing well. And you think, gee, I can understand what I think that is. And I understand why I think that'll continue. That's a pretty good combination. 
Hope that helps, Michael. Doc, uh, next one's from David. He said, well, Dave actually says, Hi, Scott Doc, please use only my first name, Dave. If you're reading it on the podcast, we are, and we did. Although I did call you David, so I think people can assume that David's a Dave. Is that fair? I think so. Saw a great joke on Facebook, Doc. It said, my, fa- my friend David had his ID stolen. Now huh. we just call him Dav. <laughs> Dav, Id, David. <laughs> anyway, so Dave says, I love the podcast. You guys have the best investing podcast out there. Thank you, mate. I, maybe you won't say that after my joke. Sorry, buddy. I listen every week and often refer friends and family to your podcast for investing advice. Thank you. I'm an Aussie who moved to Canada 12 years ago, and one of, you, one of my favorite moments in your podcast history was sometime last year when Doc tried to explain Tim Hortons to an Australian audience. I can't remember exactly what he said, but I remember it was pretty spot on. As a bonus, your Sunday mailbag edition drops on a Saturday here due to the time difference, so I have the whole weekend to enjoy it. There you go. We should charge more. We should charge more. Double, double the fee, Dave, for you. I have an unusual question, he says. I have. Uh, you often talk about a theoretical idea in constructing a portfolio by imagining selling your entire portfolio and waking up the next day with the opportunity to buy it back. I, me- I know you meant this as a theoretical idea, but I will actually have the opportunity to do this for real in about a month. I'm moving from, the Canada, from Canada to the US, and when I cease to become a tax resident in Canada... I'll be taxed on the unrealized gain of about 65% of my portfolio. Man, okay. So I want to take the opportunity to correct some past investing mistakes. I've already decided on a few things I'm going to do, namely reduce my exposure to banks and energy companies and move a larger share of my funds into, uh, into currency unhedged products. However, I thought I would reach out to you guys to see if you had any further advice as I approach this decision. Keep up the great work. Dave. Now, look, as, I, as Dave said, I do say that occasionally. You know, people think, well, should I buy? Should I sell what I, you know, should I buy more? Have I got the right stocks? And I say one of the mental exercises is to say, okay, let's assume your broker sold everything on you today and tomorrow morning you had all this cash in to buy it back. Would you buy back the same companies in the same proportions? Now, you, could, you don't have to think about it that way, but it's a nice way to say, if I was starting from scratch, would I build my portfolio the same way? Dave, that's a... Man, having to sell, having to be taxed on unrealized gains is tough, right? So he's going to have to basically realize those gains to pay the tax, which makes some sense. Bloody governments, but yeah, it's what it is. Um, so he's going to have to do that. What advice do you have for him on rebuilding or, or building from scratch an entire investing portfolio? Well, that's a tough one. So you know, putting the tax thing aside, I mean, if I think that framework of selling everything and then starting from scratch is a good one, right? So I mean. And effectively, someone has to pay tax. I mean, it's equivalent to really yeah. selling. Um, yeah, right, yeah. Right, to a large extent. I mean, you have to find the money to pay the tax somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then yeah. you might reinvest it, you know, start from scratch. Um, I think what he says, like, I mean, you know, looks from what he has said in terms of, you know, being currency unhedged products mm-hmm. in terms of index funds, looks like staying the conservative route. He wants to get the market returns on a portion um, yeah. of the fund, yeah. reduce exposure to banks uh, and energy companies. Those make... Uh, uh, those seem like the right moves. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then basically, you know, maybe you want to complement it with some number of, you know, mm. individual um, company positions. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, that's what I would say. I, again, like it's very hard to give specific uh, specific ideas without really knowing, mm. you know, where they are, what they're thinking, yep. what their appetite is and things like that. Yep. Uh, I could say buy tech and then, but then if tech is going to be volatile for you, then <laughs> it's not really your thing, right? Yeah, so right, right. I don't know what else you have to say. I like that. Right? I'm going to add one thing. It's just, again, this is psychology, right? So as we think about the, um, as you think about doing this, if I'm going to just 
hit you with some numbers, right? Let's say I bought shares for 100 bucks and they are 200 bucks. If they fall 10%, I go from 200 to 180. That kind of hurts, but I'm still up 80%, so I feel pretty good. If I'd have sold my $200 worth of shares and bought another company with $200 worth of shares and they fell 10%, well, all of a sudden my cost base was 200 bucks, now they're 180 and I feel like I've lost money. Now, we all know mathematically that's exactly the same thing, right? <laughs> if, I, if I buy for 100, go to 100, go to 200, and then I lose a bit, I'm still up 80%. Similarly, if I buy, sell the $200 shares, buy something for 200 bucks, and then they go down, that position is, is a loser versus a winner, but it really doesn't matter. So Dave, the thing I would say to you is, as you reinvest that cash, you will mentally have a step change in your cost base. You feel like you made a 65% profit now, and you have, which is spectacular, well done. When you rebuy them, though, you're going to rebuy at a zero gain cost base, particularly if you're using a brokerage account, and that brokerage account will start to report losses if the shares go down. Now, they may not, they may go up, which would be great. All I want you to do, though, is just be really, really thoughtful as you do this, just so it doesn't kind of play with your head in a way that makes you feel bad, do different things, do the wrong things, because the kind of the purchase is resetting that cost base mentally. Again, it's still the same amount of money, no different, again, and that's why these things are theoretical normally, although for you, they're not. Just be mindful that as you do that, it may have the, ten the temptation to make you think differently because that cost, the official cost base, on the new shares you buy will be different to the ones you own now, even if even for the same shares, right? Just because that's the way the maths will work. So all I'd say is just approach it carefully. Have a think. Of, I would happily buy everything on the day you have the cash. Many people, we've talked about this before, buying slowly over, over periods of time. And again, have a think about how you're going to feel about your entire portfolio being bought on day one if the market falls 5% the next day. It's going to feel really sucky and you're going to feel terrible. And, you know, those emotions you are very, very hard to get rid of. But if you know in advance and have a think about how you might deal with them or how you're going to feel about it or just simply how you're going to kind of, you know, keep yourself on the straight and narrow, that's the one thing I say with anyone who's investing in large lump sums, you just be careful of the tricks our minds play on things like cost bases and, and, and sudden movements in the shares. Any more on that, Doc? No, I think that's great. Let's go to a question from Dylan. Hi, Scott and Doc. Many thanks to you both and everyone at The Motley Fool for the priceless information. I guess it is priceless, Dylan. It's free. So, uh, but feel free to pay us as much money as you think we're worth. I am 22. Oh, I hate young people. Yeah, I know. I mean, I love young people. They are our future. I'm just really jealous. I am very jealous. 22. Yeah, 2022. Like, again. I mean, you know. Man. If I could invest now what I know. I know. That'll be fantastic. Yeah, time travel back would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Dylan, you don't have to time travel. You get the opportunity to do it the first time. Take it from us, mate. Don't waste the next 20 years. Love it. Get <laughs> Suck the marrow out of life mm. um, and invest well. Mm. All right. I'm 22 and new to investing. I have a question while I've pondered for a while. All right. This is a really good one, mate. It's a good one for, for new investors. While dollar cost average, sorry again, with a dollar cost average, averaging strategy, is it worth investing in companies where the share price is already expensive or have I missed the boat? Being expensive, I question whether allocating a certain amount every so often will still lead to long-term wealth. It seems to me because the shares are already expensive, it'll take a very long time to get my original investment principle back, let alone make profit. Should I allocate the same capital or company with cheaper shares, meaning I can buy more? Or should I invest in companies which I believe will be good investments despite being able to buy fewer shares? I hope the question makes sense and would love to hear from you both. Thanks a lot. Keep up the banter. Dylan, Dylan, just because you said so, we're going to keep the banter up, mate. We... Um, <coughs> I would do it otherwise. Stay fun otherwise. We we have the occasional review, Doc. I, I will I will I will say that there doesn't people don't some people don't love the banter. If that's you, 
do us do yourself over. Don't listen. Like we love it and we, we have fun and some of the listeners love it. It's kind of what we do. If you want if you want banterless podcasts, there's other boring ones out there. Go for it. Knock yourself out. If we're not fun, if we're interesting, then that's cool. Um, life's too short. Don't like you know. Seriously, I'm not saying I'm not saying I want you to go. I'm just saying don't don't hate listen to us. There's better things to do with your time. If you're not enjoying it, go and do something else. Good news is Dylan's enjoying it. <laughs> But he's trying to work out whether we should buy the expensive ones or the cheap ones. What do you reckon? Okay, um, Captain. So, yeah, I think uh, what so a couple of things came to my mind when you were reading this question uh, about, from Dylan. So, Dylan, you know, just to clarify, if the share price has a $100 tag versus another share price has a $10 tag, yep. you can't tell which one is expensive and which one is cheap. Of course you can. One's $100. It's like 10 times the price. No, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work that way because what you really need to know is what is the, uh, you know, total yeah. value of the company and that really depends on how many pieces there are of that company, right? Yeah. So if you, you know, take a pizza, one pizza, divide it into 10 pieces, mm-hmm. And you have one piece, the piece is going to cost you less. Yeah, so about a $20 pizza and 10 pieces, two bucks a piece. Yeah, but but the pizza is still $20 worth because you are holding right. a piece of that, that pizza. So there's other pizza and it was in half. The piece the piece would be 10 bucks each, which feels expensive. Yeah, but it's you're not. You're getting five times as much pizza. Exactly, but right. it's the same thing. So you just own more of a company or less of a company. So that's number one. I think that, that trips a lot of people. So people might be interested in so buying, the, uh, buying the 10 cent share yeah. over the $1 share, over the $10 share, over the $100 share. And, and that can be really, really confusing. Every now and again, Doc, I fantasize about the market forcing everyone to have $10 shares. <laughs> can you like imagine if they because you could you could do it right you could literally say to every single company from Berkshire at three hundred thousand dollars down to some dodgy miner at half a cent you could literally make them overnight all have ten dollars shares yeah and so Dylan as you think about this think about the companies on the index all being exactly the same price if if we had uh, I'll pick Woolies right Woolies is kind of forty dollars ish a share right now we could make it a ten dollars share tomorrow by giving everyone three free shares for every share they currently own. We can increase their share count by fourfold, which would drop the price by three quarters. In other words, instead of having one $40 share, you got four $10 shares, same company, more shares. We could take, uh, what's uh, Webjet? I own shares, about four bucks now. We give everybody one and a half more shares for every share they own. They'd own two and a half shares rather than one, and the shares would be $10 each. And the question then would be, is Woolies expensive at 40 or Webjet cheap at three? It's the wrong question. If they're both $10 shares, they'd be the same companies, which one would you rather buy? And that's the right question. Yeah. So I think that's the number one thing. So just to clarify, when you think about expensive versus cheap, you want to you want to actually have a value in mind. So what is the pizza worth mm-hmm. is the question. Then you can decide whether you are buying a very expensive pizza or a cheap mm-hmm. pizza, right? That's, I think, what you need to decide. Um, and then I think the the second question is, you should never really be buying something that's expensive. I mean, if uh-huh. that is, like, I mean, if you have, for all things being equal, it's always better to buy the cheaper one because <laughs> if it is cheaper relative to what you think right, it's right, worth, right. then, well, that's the better buy, yeah. right? Uh, now, I'm not telling you to go into a, what, what I call a value trap, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if if, if right. the fantastic pizza might be the, you know, might be the best uh, um, you know, chef out there in Italy costs you yep. $1, and you're going to be able to sell it for $200. <laughs> I'm going to buy that. Right. So, right. so that's exactly what you want to do. Uh, so you want to buy the cheaper one, cheaper value versus the expensive one. The only caveat I'm going to add is it's really hard to value 
companies as such, especially yeah. growth ones. Yeah. And they may appear expensive, but they may not be expensive because mm-hmm. if they were expensive, then they would not deliver the returns that they have delivered over time. So, you know, if you think about going back in time and things like that, yeah. right? Um, so you want to be careful in terms of what you pay, mm. how much you pay up. Mm. Um, and you, I guess you want to pay up relative to future opportunities. Is Which is what makes it so hard with investing, it, right? Yeah. If, we, if we look backwards, Warren Buffett said before, if history is all that mattered in investing, the richest people in the world would be librarians, Yeah, right? Because if you look back and say, this company's going to pay you this, that company's going to pay you that. If I, if I could pay based on last year's profits, I can, I can invest easily. I do it in 15 minutes, take the rest of the week off. But the question is not what to do last year. It's like, okay, the price has moved around. What do the next 10 years with the profits look like from Woolies or Webjet? And then try and work that out in some sense. It's hard, Dylan. Like I, 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 I hesitate to raise this because I can't give you an easy answer. It is really, really hard. What we often try and talk about in this podcast is ways to think about, and we've already answered a question already today, ways to think about finding those companies that have the best futures relative to the price you're paying. Yeah, and and you know, price to earnings is relatively useless in my view for like early stage companies yeah. to uh, companies that are constantly reinvesting for growth. I mean, for them, right. price to earnings basically means nothing. Yeah, right? Amazon I own shares. You own shares. Amazon was unprofitable for the first twenty odd years of its life. You know, and it was <coughs> creating lots of value. Now we can argue about what the right price was, but using PE w- would never ever have let you buy the shares at. A tenth, a thirtieth, a one hundredth of the current share price. Yeah, like I mean, if you just even go back five years and you looked at the net income of Amazon and and then did a PE, the PE would have yeah. appeared to be some ridiculously high number, like you know, a thousand or something. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then you'd have thought that this is really expensive. So, so you have to really know how to evaluate a business and what are yeah. the parameters. Think, and you're going to be uh, the other thing is you're going to be wrong as well. <laughs> 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 We're not really feeling with confidence yet, Doc. I have no, to say. well, well, I'm just saying. You, you know, I should. Yeah. Re- I'm gonna rephrase that. I'm no, saying, no, you're right. I am wrong too. No, no, well, yeah, and we yeah, are we're wrong, wrong all yeah, the time. Yeah, we yeah. just have to accept that. Um, you know, I think the the biggest thing, my biggest thing that I have learned over time in investing is accepting that I'm going to be wrong. Mm-hmm. And if you can accept that you're going to be yeah, wrong, right. then you will at least make those attempts where you're mm-hmm. willing to be wrong. Because mm-hmm. you know perfection is actually the mm-hmm. problem here, right? If you're trying to be too perfect, then then I think you will be missing out a lot of opportunities. So mm-hmm. I think it's a little bit of, yeah, investing is a lot about the mind than about actually, uh, you know, about the numbers. I think. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's my answer. Nice, thank you, mate. I like it. Um, I think yeah, Dylan. Yeah, don't don't. I'm going to say, if you're just starting out, mate, um, buy shares in the best companies you can find um, and try and pay decent prices, but don't don't get too caught up on the price per share. Don't even get caught up on the PE because the best companies that are particularly growing companies will grow faster and longer than most people imagine. That's certainly been the story of the best, best companies of our age have grown for faster and longer than people expected. That's not universally going to be true. It's not going to be true for every company all the time. As Doc says, you're going to be wrong from time to time. Just try and be roughly right as often as you can. Um, and frankly, Matt, dude, you're 22. Just whatever you do, whatever you do, please promise me you'll just keep adding money to your portfolio. You, you know, you could you could underperform the market and still retire stupidly comfortable at 22 if you invest enough money. Now, I don't think you should underperform the market. I think you'll beat the market if you keep doing it well. But the, the broad point is, dude, you will literally, like, you've got, you've got 45 years literally of contributions ahead of you. If you just keep putting enough of your money away every single month, every single fortnight, every single year, just keep keep your fingers out of the cookie jar and you won't have any trouble whatsoever, mate. You'll be getting on this podcast in 20 years. Don't worry about that. All right, Doc, next question comes from Howie. Howie says, hi, Scott and Doc, loving the pod. And the guests are adding some great beneficial content, but the OGs still do it best. 
OGs, original greats, old greats? Oh, yeah, not not old, surely. I'm not sure. Anyway, huh. it's a question I have about compounding. If your portfolio compounds, say during a 10-year bull run, and then there's a massive crash, such as the GFC or COVID, doesn't that effectively wipe away all those great years of compounding you start again? He says 100 grand built over 10 years, but then a crash halves it, so you're left with 50 grand. Am I missing something or is that accurate? Hashtag stop annoying doc about Insta. <laughs> Howie, if I didn't do that, mate, I wouldn't do the pot. What's the fun of that? I don't, I, I'm t- you, you didn't hack his account, did you, Doc? No, I. There are many good people here who are not into Insta. Yet. 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 We'll, we'll get Doc on Insta. You know, I, I struggle with Insta, mate. I post a lot of stuff on Twitter and I want to post stuff on Insta from time to time just because, you know, I want to kind of share the love. I just don't take any. I'm not. I'm not photogenic. I don't take enough good photos. Like you can't really take. You probably put text on Insta. It's gonna have a photo with it every time. I'm gonna say it's not about sharing the love. It's you, you really crave Insta and you want to be <laughs> among the cool kids. I would, I would be you want to find. <laughs> you want to find your teenage years back. Is what it is. <laughs> I want to be one of the cool kids. Wait, that's. I do want to be one of the cool kids again. Uh, the only problem with that, mate. I want a cookie to start with. You can't be a cookie again if you were never a cookie <laughs> in the first place. All right, let's uh, let's let's try and get to the question though. Um, how is right? I mean, yes, mate, you were exactly right. If you build up ten grand and a hundred grand, the market falls by half. Your hundred grand becomes fifty. That's absolutely true. And if you sell at that point, then you need your head red, and we've done a terrible job helping you invest because. It's only true if you take those individual points in time. There is nothing I hate more, mate, than people say, oh, the share market is down 30% from peak to trough. It's like, yeah, if those are the only two points you're measuring, that's absolutely true. The market's also up a million percent over 50 years. So why are we just talking about the peak to trough? Peak to trough only matters if you put all your money at the top and you sold everything at the bottom. If you're that unlucky or that silly, I can't help you. But if you're not doing that, if you're adding regularly over time, if you're selling regularly as and when you need to eventually when you retire, how are your 100 grand that's become 50? If the market does what it keeps doing, we'll go back to 200 grand at some point. And so have you lost Have you lost 50 grand in the meantime? Absolutely, yes. Unquestionably. I'm not going to sugarcoat that. I'm not going to hide that. I'm not here to be, the, be a booster for, for share prices or for shares or for investing other than where it's true. Yes, when the market falls to 50%, if, mate, just quietly, if you've got 100 grand, it goes 50, you go to a million dollars, then you lose half of that. That's going to go from a million to half a million dollars. That is going to hurt like hell. The market has never yet failed to regain and then go higher than a previous high. And if that remains true, and as long as you're not forced, and that's why we say you invest for at least three to five years. If you're not forced to liquidate your portfolio at the bottom of the market, it is just a point in time and a point in space on that journey. Doc? I have nothing really to add to that. I mean, you know, uh, I mean, yeah, this is a point in, point in time game you're talking about. Then, yes, that's true. Yeah, you know, and here's another thing, right? So if you invested 100 grand at, uh, you know, 10 years ago, and so 10 years before the GFC and your mm. money doubled mm. to 200 grand, mm. and then you lost 40%, yeah. you're still actually technically still ahead. Oh, exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but still- again, it's, but using this one point, yeah. I, I, like I get it. And I'm not even going to you at all, mate. I get people thinking about that. I get that it's stressful. I get that it's a worry. I just need you to live on, live, live, live in the future. Live, live in some version of the world where you can see what's happened in the past, how good returns have been. I think they'll, well, I'm very sure. I can't promise anything, but I'm very sure they'll continue to be pretty good in the future. And again, looking at just the low point is, is scary. I mean, that's the other thing about COVID. We, we, we netted out at minus 38% at one point. We've made almost all of that back. Um, not all of it. So, you know, you're still down a little bit, but... If you, if you just take those two points, then 
it would have been not even close to the full story. Value stocks. Market. Stock market. Index. Share market. This is Motley Fool Money. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. I've got a question from Alec. Uh, this, is, uh, this is pretty cool. Good question. Even better comment. Let me, let me share it with you. He says, hey, Scott. What's your positioning on Link and Jumbo Interactive with their earnings per share growth turning negative? Good question. What I like even more, mate, is what comes next. This is really cool. He says, me and my dad love the podcast and The Motley Fool. It's actually turned into father-son bonding time over the years. Now, look, we're here for investing advice. We're here for education. We're here to help people invest. We're not here to help families necessarily get together, but that's I, that's pretty cool. I mean, if we, you know, if you, if Alec and your old man, g'day, um, thank you for listening, love it, uh, really appreciate it, appreciate the feedback. But um, that's kind of pretty cool, Doc. I think that's very, very cool. That's awesome. Yeah, very cool. All right, uh, we should get back to the question though. So, Alec, thank you for the kind words. Thank you. We're super, I'm, we're super stoked that you've been able to find something you can do with your old man and, and enjoy it together. That's very, very cool. Uh, Link and Jumbo, mate. What do you say? Uh, mate, I don't follow Link too closely, so I have. I'm going to pass on that one. Jumbo, you know, you and I both have it on our services, so I can uh, talk about Jumbo a little bit. Yes, yes. Um, so Jumbo, Jumbo is an interesting company. Jumbo is interesting because you know, it's a company that has very high margins, is really super profitable. Then uh, people notice uh, in this particular case, the supplier noticed that Jumbo is making too much money. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. So, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so TabCorp basically, uh, yeah. uh, Jumbo effectively is reselling TabCorp's lotteries in uh, many ways uh. um and and tab corp has its own online thing but jumbo's is just better yeah and uh, basically looking at the amount of money jumbo was making mm, tab corp mm, basically mm. said well you know that's too much i need a cut of that and they basically have renegotiated a deal mm. in terms of how much service fee they're mm. going to charge mm. um on on that now yeah, right. The, now, without going into too much details, <laughs> it's really a function of um, how much money is going to actually come out of Jumbo's profits. Yeah. Right? You know, so because there is uh, effectively, there is uh, there's an amount that's coming in, yep. but then there is a certain g- cost for that. Yes. But the profit, the really the fees are going to come out of the difference of these two. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Which means the in- impact on margin is actually not insignificant yeah right which is why yes that's right yeah so that's the most important thing to keep in mind is the impact on margins is not insignificant and actually the impact rises as Mm, mm. uh jumbo's um um i guess top line grows Mm. right um and i I forgot the total you know the percentages is like some start like 1.5 percent of the total fees and and the the, the total fees is about 20 percent of whatever the margins are so but you know if you really think of the amount of money that jumbo was making jumbo is going to now be paying is a good cut of that Mm. back um uh, and it may not have the potential to pass on that full cost to the uh consumers or the users or the buyers of those lotteries um mm. so there's a margin impact and therefore you know the, the the shares have taken a hit i think the thing to keep in mind is jump jump uh, jumbo is trying to diversify itself uh it's mm. trying to sign deals mm. with other people it's also building it's the software business which is then try it's trying to then sell that software to other lottery operators in different countries so it is diversifying its stream it's trying to diversify its source of earnings and if it does that well then these margin impacts will 
will matter in the interim, but mm. probably will not matter that much in the long run. Um, and that's how to think of it. So there's a, there's a bit of uncertainty, which is why, mm. um, and there's a margin compression, which is why jumbo sh- shares, I believe, have been uh, sold down. Um, because it, as I said, it was a super profitable, really, yep. like it was almost like a no-brainer type of business to own. Um, but, you know, nothing is no-brainer in this world. Yeah, it is by definition lower quality than the lot of owner. If, you, if you're retailing someone else's product, you are you are a lower quality business by definition than than the the originator, the instigator of the product, right? Um, it just happens to be the case no matter who you are. Um, there's one other thing, Doc, too, which I think is fascinating about a lot of companies is part of the reason that earnings per share have fallen. So future earnings will be down because there's renegotiation. Part of the part of the reason share, the earnings per share have fallen is there are simply fewer lotto jackpots in the last year compared to the year before. And that's meaningful, right? Because, and you would think, well, hang on, there's less jackpots. So they're paying less out. That's got to be good. Well, remember Jumbo and, and the like make money on volume as well as the actual margin they're paying out when there are jackpots. They make more money because more of us go and throw money at them to try and win the big number. And again, like the odds aren't that different. So you think about, you know, people who wouldn't want to win $2 million or don't try to win $2 million but want to win $80 million. Um, think about human psychology and, and behavioral biases, right? Like you've actually got more chance of winning two than 80. Um, and yet people kind of throw out the 80 because the 80s are such a bigger number. Um, and look, I can't, I can't. You know, be too super critical of it, I suppose, but it is a bit of a funny circumstance. So, yeah, in, that, that's the other thing in this particular case is the number of jackpots was down and down meaningfully, Matt, about a third, I want to say, something like that, um, mega jackpots, and that meant that simply fewer people bought lottery tickets and that hurt Jumbo. So they do better when we're in that sort of situation, which is uh, which is kind of cool. A link, I don't love Link, Doc. I, like, I don't know it super well. Um, it, it's 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 a toll boothy kind of business, but there's no obvious source of growth for mine. So if you're in it for kind of growth and, and total market return, I'm not expecting it to be a big market beater over the long term. It might be decent income. I don't really know. The only thing I would say there, by the way, is shares are down almost by close to 40%. And so again, a business I didn't love at six bucks, now at three, 388, 390, might actually be more interesting. So I probably should go and have another look at it. But generally speaking, the growth hasn't been great. You mentioned the the EPS declines, uh, Alec, and I think that's, that, I would echo that concern or that question. Um, the question really is where do they get growth from? I, I can't see it. Maybe they get into other building other things. Um, but yeah, I, I would actually share that concern. I don't, I don't love Link as a business, but I don't, also don't, as Doc said, don't claim to know it super, super well. Anything else, mate? I have nothing to add. Speaking of mailbag questions, this is not one of them. This is a comment because Chris says, Hi, Scott and Doc. This time I don't have any questions, so sit and relax. I've just got a story to share. I've been investing in listed companies for over four years. I've been a member of your services and I've been listening to the podcast for over three. I really appreciate the wisdom you share with me and the listeners. Thank you, mate. It's very kind. Oh, no. You know, it starts the next sentence with unfortunately, mate. I'm not sure where this is going. <laughs> unfortunately. Oh, it's okay. I think, I think we're okay. I haven't always followed your advice. It cost me a decent chunk of returns, which hurt, but at the same time taught me a few things. The main thing is patience. I learned not to sell my best stocks only because they performed well, as they might perform even better. I will use Afterpay as an example, as most people probably know their success story. I bought shares at $6, sold the first part at 20 then at 40 then at 50 Was I a genius? Chris asks. I wish. It's at $88 at the time of writing. Another thing is that it's really easy to sell with a profit with the aim to repurchase when the price is lower. Unfortunately, it's super hard to buy when the price is low. And then when you want to buy, the price might be higher than what you sold it at. Another example is the US company Wayfair. I sold them at 200 bucks. I didn't buy them when they were $30 in March 
and now they are above 300. I realize it's not worth my time looking at the screen every day and focus on the short gains. It steals my precious free time and also my long-term gains. I'll now aim to invest in great businesses and use this time for something different. I think that's brilliant. Chris says, the best thing you've both discussed, uh, sorry, the best thing is you've both discussed these things many times. I wish I'd listened to you more. I would have more time and money. There are much, there are many more things I've learned from you. I thought I would share a few examples, say a big thank you for all your work and contribution into my investing journey. Full on, Chris. P.S. Hope to see you both on TikTok with a buy, hold, sell dance one day. Well, Chris, uh, keep dreaming, dude. Um, Doc, I, I want to share that because, uh, oh, I mean, yeah, it says nice things about us, which is lovely. And Chris, thank you very much, mate, for the, for the, the, the kind and the very heartfelt words. We very much appreciate it. But... I, you know, there's one thing I, we're doing this with get a better rate too on Twitter, mate, or social media. There's one thing when when someone someone else says you should do this thing. It's a it's a whole other thing when you hear someone also in your situation who has actually taken the advice and benefited from it. It's one thing for me to say or you to say, "Hey, chill out, you guys. Don't sell. Don't do this. Don't do that. Or do this. Do that." Um, yeah, it's one thing to one thing to, to hear someone else say it. But when you see someone go through it and have had those experiences, hopefully for other listeners, Chris's story will be instrumental. Do you have any thoughts on that, Doc? Any reflections? No, I think, you know, those are all spot-on observations. And, you know, the only thing, I guess the thing I'll add is some of those thoughts and processes, mm-hmm. they're great experiences to have, yeah. number one. And number two is that even after you've had the experience, you would think that you're not going to have it again, it's going to happen again, but that's okay. Nice. I think it's the process, yeah. Yeah. the journey. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's right. And, and learn, learning to, learning to uh, bear with what happens. Next question, mate, is from Lauren. Now, Lauren's got a couple of questions. We'll ask her second question next week. But this week... Hey, Scott and Doc, my partner Mitch is a huge fan of your podcast. Thank you, Mitch. Thank you, Florent. Thank you both for listening. Now, Lauren says, I'm originally from England, so I'm interested in an ETF for the FTSE 100, which are the top 100 companies on the London Exchange, the Financial Times Stock Exchange, or FTSE. What are your thoughts? Seems like a good bunch of companies, but I'm not too sure. Hashtag get Scott in a Tesla. Lauren, if you're going to buy me a Tesla, I will happily take it. Thank you. I look forward to having it delivered. I'll send you my address and you can uh, get the car delivered down here. In the meantime, I've actually sat in a Tesla. I've sat in the driver's seat and I've had a chance to drive in Doc's Tesla, which is just a very, very cool experience. Regardless of the, the joking that, that he and I have, it's a very, very cool car. All right, mate. We're not going to talk about that. We are going to talk, though, about the ETF for the US, oh, sorry, UK, FTSE, the top 100 companies in London. Do you look at that market? Have you looked at those stocks? Your thoughts on that? You know, I wish uh, I had looked at this question before. I have actually have no idea what is in the uh, the FTSE uh, 100 index, so I really don't have a um, the common... I, I would mm-hmm. guess that it's, again, like us, there'd be a lot of banks and yep. uh, financials and some, and, yep. and some oil companies, yep. maybe some you know utilities and things like that. Um, yes, yes. Maybe some telcos even. So I would assume that it's not very growthy, but I mean, that might be okay depending yeah. upon what the valuation is yeah. and what sort of dividends they're paying. So let me hit you with the top uh, 10 UK companies, mate. You've got HSBC Holdings. You've picked that nicely, so that's a bank. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next one is BP, the oil driller. company. <laughs> next, the third one is one that we all know very, very well. It's BHP because it's okay. a dual listed company. Okay. AstraZeneca, the, okay. uh, the farmer. Uh, GlaxoSmithKline, another farmer company. Okay. The sixth is Rio Tinto. Okay. The seventh is Diageo that I used to work for, the alcohol company behind yep, Johnny Walker, brands. Smirnoff, mm-hmm. Bailey's, Guinness. 
Eighth is British American Tobacco, for those ethical investors out there. The ninth is Vodafone, well done. And the tenth is household products company Reckitt Ben Kaiser. What's so, not it? It's more diversified than our top ten. Yes, that's yeah, true. yeah. It's actually more. <laughs> there's, less than, there's less than four banks. That's a win. There's less than four banks. There's yeah, some consumer yeah, yeah. Uh, yes. brands there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, consumer some, mining, drilling banks. Uh, some and big pharma. Pharma. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. AstraZeneca making COVID drug. Um, yes, hopefully. Uh, hopefully, or maybe. Um, and there's another pharma you said is in the list, right? Yes, uh, GlaxoSmithKline. Glaxo. So the two big pharma. They, they make Panadol for those who who uh, yeah. they make a lot of stuff. But if you if you so, take Panadol, you're taking your GlaxoSmithKline well, product. This is like you know, this looks like a steady blue chip type. Again, mm-hmm. valuation would matter. It's yeah. blue chippy type of thing. Yep. Not super exciting, but not boring. Interesting. It's a fascinating uh, scenario to be in. It, the um, I don't mind this one. I ha- So here's the thing. Um, Lauren, you're, you're a polymer, which, which is great. And so if you feel better about owning those companies, knowing those companies, that's great. I am not entirely sure that that group of companies too – Iron ore, predominantly miners, a, a driller, um, a couple of consumer products. They're, they're very decent, solid. This is kind of you know, this is almost proper blue chip, doc. We do have blue chips here, and it's like four banks and Telstra. Um, some really good, well known household names in that group. I'd be I'd be comfortable owning those companies. I don't know to your point, mate, whether there's enough growth in there to make it a worthwhile investment over something else you might own. If I was going to own a global exposed ETF, it would be the Vanguard. Are you doing on this one? VGS, which is the Vanguard Develop World ETF, owns some US, UK, Europe. Um, it's it's broader. Lauren, if you want to own some UK companies because you know them or you know them well or it feels like home, then go for it. Uh, I don't expect that the FTSE 100 will be the the highest performing index. So I wouldn't necessarily be targeting that one specifically for any reason over, say, the US S&P or a global index. Okay, so I have Good some. Uh, I was looking at. Uh, so this actually is available on the ASX uh, via okay. beta shares. Right. Just, just so I quickly looked it up. It's pretty diversified. So consumer staples is about eighteen percent. Financial about seventeen. Healthcare fourteen. Materials eleven. I mean, it's diversified. Uh, it's got you know, it's got less. It actually, got very little tech. Um, it's got energy and things like that. What is interesting to me is the returns of the index over mm, mm, last mm. three years yes, is point two nine percent. 0.29. Per annum. Okay. Return that's, not, over, that's not high. That's not very high. <laughs> Returns uh, per annum after fees, of course, these are. Um, five year is minus 0.56. Wow, there you go. So it has not really done much. And I was just trying to find if I, there's no way for easily, they don't give me the P, but yeah, this looks like there's a lot of challenge. Um, or there has been at least historically challenge mm. in uh, this. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe it, it, it requires digging in. Fascinating, fascinating. We shall see. Mate, um, oh, yeah, I, I'm instinctively not a fan. Maybe there's, maybe there's more value there than, than might otherwise seem the case. Is that is that fair? Yeah, uh, maybe. I mean, you know, well, I was looking at, the, you know, it says it's on a price to earning of 15.5. Maybe it's more value-ish. Um, maybe the next 10 years are better than, it's mm-hmm. not, it's not certainly, as you said, if you wanted to, you could get a global 100 or get like a uh, Vanguard All World or whatever yeah. like that, you yeah, know, yeah. like, I mean, this seems very, you know, getting FTSE 100 seems very niche yeah, in yeah. that sense. Yeah. All right. So. That's yeah. Same. My question from Tegan. Tegan's a regular correspondent of ours. And uh, if you don't remember Tegan's name, you will by the end of the pod- end of the question. Hey, Scott, got another question for you too. Here's a full podcast question. It says, hey, Scott and Doc, my favorite 
Duddy Investor Guys. Dudley Investor Guys. <laughs> Tegan, <laughs> seriously. We, we always got heads for radio. Um, I'm a proud fool myself, she says, loyally trudging along behind you both with subscriptions to Share Advisor, Dividend Investor, and Extreme Opportunities. Thank you, Tegan. I've enjoyed the diversity of each group and like how my portfolio has evolved based on dollar cost averaging uh, since joining. Our portfolio is evolving nicely and I'm enjoying the ride it's taking me on. So much so, and this is really cool, I have set up a minor trust trading account for my son. Very cool, Tegan. Well done. She says, the young fella is in the position of having a monthly amount of several hundred dollars bestowed on him and rather put it in the bank account for him to easily blow when he becomes of age. We've decided to invest this amount for him. Good choice. With you studly motley fools as my coaches. Hashtag go team fool. For the record, I promise you, Tegan, is real. I promise I'm not writing this myself. If I was, I wouldn't be calling myself studly. <laughs> she says, already he has several shares based on full recommendations and they are all doing well. Good stuff. Earning him more than if that money was just sitting in the bank gaining interest. My question is, from a general standpoint, for selecting shares to go into a minor trust portfolio, would you lean toward more high growth shares? In other words, should I look over Doc's shoulder without the creepy heavy breathing, she says, in the extreme opportunity platform? Or is it important to have a mix of share types? Select some hashtag granny panty income type shares for long-term listeners, you'll start to remember Tegan, uh, and ETFs for stability, as well as seeking out the high growth hashtag reg panty opportunities. Thank you for your guidance. As always, Teagues. She says, size note, Doc, the handle at Red Panty Investor still hasn't been taken on Instagram. Get on it. That's my gift to you, she says. So there you go, Doc. <laughs> I love that. Don't ever let it be said that our listeners don't look after us. Um, so <laughs> with all that said, for a kid uh, who's a minor, who's going to hopefully have the money in trust for, I don't know how young Tegan's son is, but let's assume there's other 10, 20 years of growth before such time as uh, her son gets his grubby hands on it and gets to blow it on fast cars and alcohol. Um, high growth combination, safe ETFs. We can't give taking advice, of course, but in general, what do you reckon? Yeah, like I think the longer the window uh, before realizing things, and especially if you, you know, because I think in a minor account you might get Again, this is not tax advice, but I think you'd get taxed even on those dividends and things like that at a pretty high rate. Um, so my, my personal preference would be to find growth with minimal income or small income mm-hmm. um, and and then let it be. Mm. Um, that's one approach. I mean, you could also get this sort of a similar less I guess less riskier but probably lower return relatively mm-hmm. speaking by going ETF so it is really I think a personal preference question like if somebody if I was doing this I would do individual shares uh, but I can totally understand why somebody might just do ETFs um, yeah that's what I would say mm. I agree. There's, there is a small concern, and again, we're not tax advisors here, but miners get charged stupid amounts of tax if they earn more than a certain amount of money per year in um, unearned income, and unearned in this case is not from labour. So think about cash in the bank interest. Uh, think about rent if you I mean, miners don't own property, but if they did, or dividends. So you have to be a little bit careful of the tax rate. Like sixty six percent, it's stupid, and and it's not the government's fault. It's it's people who tried to pretend they were income splitting and try and take, claim two tax-free thresholds for their kids. And, you know, the government did what the government had to do because people were abusing the, the rules. And I guess, you know, as they say, that's why we can't have nice things. But um, so just be a little bit careful about that, Tegan. As, as the portfolio grows, if, if you think your son's likely to, and it's hard to extrapolate, right? But imagine, I don't know, 10 years' time, if there's still another five or 10 years with the compounding left, 
if you're losing two thirds of the dividends, um, it may make some sense to have fewer dividend paying stocks, or at least just think about the balance. Now, as I said about super on Friday, I'd rather earn some money and pay tax on it than not earn the money at all. So don't do anything stupid to try and avoid tax, um, but just be mindful of how that might impact your portfolio. I think, uh, you know, for a long term, here's the thing, it kind of depends on also what you imagine you some might use the money for and try to imagine that's also really hard. Um, if you were, if he was fortunate enough to be able to put this aside effectively for like an early retirement, if he's got forty years of compounding left, um, then again, slow and steady wins the race, right? You, you can afford not to take silly risks or be too aggressive with it. On the other hand, Doc's got a great track record of high growth stocks, right? So why wouldn't you want to do that? The benefit of that is they don't often carry a huge amount of dividends, and so it's probably a pretty tax effective way to invest, given the brutal tax treatment and tax rates that miners have to pay on their income while he's a miner. Again, once he becomes a, an adult, things change again meaningfully from that point forward. So. Lots of different things to consider. I would, I, I think, look, the other thing is as you're adding stocks, ETFs are often great ways to start because they give you instant diversification. You can always add differently on top of that. So um, I would I would probably be inclined to go different, a combination of ETFs and then a couple of best ideas and then build out your portfolio from there. I think if I was starting, that's how I'd build it out. And I'd probably build it out with a combination of uh, Australian and, and US ETFs, just to give yourself diversification and growth in a different way. There's also the, the benefit, <laughs> dubious though it is, in an income sense of having lower yielding stocks in the US because they don't have franking and so that you'll just you'll have longer to get growth before you hit that that threshold of tax. That threshold, by the way, should be indexed over time. So you do get a little bit of growth potential, but in theory, your investment returns and the dividends will grow faster than inflation. So you do need to allow for it at least a little bit. Any more on that, Doc? Oh, no, I have nothing to add. Are you taking up Tegan's invitation and... Uh, Reserving the red panty investor handle on Twitter. On you know, it sounds very tempting, very, very tempting. <laughs> uh, I don't know how people will think about that, but um, it, it sounds very tempting. Sounds, you know, sounds like a way to get a lot of followers or stuff on on Instagram. Um, yeah, but I'm going to pass right now. You're not going to pass? Yeah. Oh, man, so close. So close. All right. Uh, let's move on to it's our last question, I reckon, for today, mate. Uh, so I like this one. This is one from Anthony. And this is a really, really cool. So, um, Options, mate. You're an options dude. Anthony says, good evening, Motley Fool. I hope this finds you well. I'm a listener and lucky enough to also be a subscriber. I read the information on PointsBet, courtesy of EO, a bit of a, a, a uh, look inside, under the curtain there, a little while ago and bought some shares. I was richly rewarded with my first spiffy pop. As a new investor, I was floored and overjoyed. In the ensuing days, though, I was bombarded with ASX announcements, including a capital raising. I've read the prospectus and I'm interested in availing myself of the entitlement offer, but I am confused by the mention of options. I must seem like a heel, he says, but could someone explain what they are? The advantages and disadvantages? I'm looking to fully understand, but I must admit, I'm not sure I fully grasp. Cheers and full on, Anthony. Now, Anthony, I love the question, mate. Um, I... You know, I'm really glad you asked it. I, I don't blame people feeling like they, you know, they feel a bit silly. It's a silly question to ask. Am I missing something here? Why can't I understand it? Um, trust me when I say finance is complex and it's made more complex by people who, frankly, should know better but don't and don't really make it as easy to understand as they deserve. And that's what we're here for. That's what we do. So I will, I will, you know, don't ever feel bad at anyone about asking any questions, as simple or otherwise as you might think they are. Because guess what? You don't learn till you ask the question. So, um, mate, on your for answering, the, asking the question, it'll help other people as well. Doc, the points bit capital raise and associated options. You across that? Um, actually, I will explain this at a very high level. What Please, is going on without going into the specific details? Right. Because then I have to look at the specific details. Um, <laughs> so, 
the the rights part is is relatively straightforward for x number of shares that you own you're going to get you have the right to buy certain number of shares at a fixed mm-hmm. price um the options part really often is the options give you the right to buy x number of shares yes at a future date yes at a price decided today right right so um so options theoretically would have value in the sense that if you have the right to buy in the future in 2 years down the lane um say 100 shares of points bet for say $6 mm. that thing would only have value if the shares are trading above $6 because you're going to be okay. effectively paying $6 right, 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 to buy right. the shares okay, yep. in the future so it basically yep. is just the right to buy the shares at a future date yeah um it is really not clear to me as to why somebody would structure a deal especially for investors like that it, yeah. it almost would mean um for the issuance of stock yeah. right at that point um which at that point then the company gets some money for that stock issuance so right. it's basically an upside play uh and still a partial capital raise in the future um to cover release of those stocks but that's really what it is yeah right okay so does it change your view on the capital raise or the participation right well it's just overly complicated right yeah. i mean it's complicated for most people would not you know for most people it'll be too complicated to figure it out it's you're trying to assign some value to the options right now, which may or may not exist because you don't know. It's, it's really you're making an upside bet. What you're making an upside leverage yeah, bet, right? Right. Um, and you know, the, from the company's point of view, I guess it is that you know, if you already own the shares, you are thinking the shares are going to go up, um, and therefore we are giving you the right, uh, you know, the option of owning these things okay. at uh, at a future point in time, for which you're going to pay some money to own it. Uh, but which is going to be substan- which we hope is going to be substantially less than the value you're going to get out of the shares. So that's really it. I mean, right? Um, I don't know. I'm not a big fan of this sort of options. You know, uh, vesting over time. These are okay for management teams to have, mm-hmm. but for shareholders to have, <laughs> uh, especially those that you know did not explicitly yeah. want to buy. Yeah, options. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, like those people who deal with options is fine. But you know, now you have to give you know uh, options to people who don't want to deal with derivative instruments. It just seems it, it seems a little bizarre. A little too clever by half. I, I don't. You really, I don't. You know. Yeah. I mean, it just seems bizarre <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll, we'll go around that one yeah <laughs> that sounds good mate i reckon we're done cool. a couple more questions left but we'll hold those over to next week because of course our listeners want something listening to next week and we're gonna have some really good questions lauren's second question a couple others it's um it's gonna be fun so i'm looking forward to that in the meantime before you go don't forget you can and should subscribe to the triple m motley full money podcast you know what you should do you should join motley full share advisor why? Because I'm biased and I run that service and I think you should. Also, because thus far at least we're beating the market and Andrew and I work really hard to try and bring the best mid and large cap ideas, largely growth companies, occasionally a value play or two, to our members. We are beating the market after eight and a half years. We intend to go on doing exactly that. Now, of course, as I've said before, past performance is no guarantee and we can't give any guarantees, but we will do our level best to keep beating the market and bringing the best in stock picking and education to our wonderful, loyal, and very highly valued members. If you want to be one of those people, and you should, because why wouldn't you? And it's really cheap. Go to fool.com.au forward slash SA podcast. That's SA for share advisor. Fool.com.au forward slash SA podcast. Join Andrew, join myself. You know, why not? What have you got to lose? Well, some money, possibly. You could. I reckon, on average, 
you did pretty well. It's like less than the cost of, or is it more than the cost of a cup of coffee? Well, the price you pay for coffee is much cheaper. Yeah, well, my it's less than less than a cup of coffee a week the doc buys, and probably even the, less than the average price of a cup of coffee. Yeah, my coffee sometimes costs five bucks. I still don't much understand less than that. that. Yeah, <laughs> five bucks for a cup of coffee. <laughs> Want to be good? Does it come in gold leaf or something? I don't know. Well, it's, it tastes good. It tastes, tastes good. It tastes that's good. Right. If it's that, then it's worth it. That's worth it. Yeah. All right, that is it. Please do subscribe through iTunes, your favorite Android podcast app, or the Podcast One app. And if you like what we're doing, please leave us a review. Give us some stars. Show us some love, like the person who said I sounded like your drunk uncle when played on a half speed. If that's funny, if that's true, leave us some stars. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Uh, it'll really help other people find the podcast. It helps us rank better on all the appropriate app stores and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and so, you know, if you're getting some value out of this, um, so we get nothing from it other than a bit, tiny bit of advertising revenue, which is literally not worth much uh, in the overall scheme of things, but helps keep the lights on. More importantly, we want to share this with many, many more people and help them become foolish investors too. Speaking of which, you can get a dose of foolishness straight to your inbox and an offer to join Dividend Investor by going to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Triple M. That's it for this week's Motley Full Money. See you on Tuesday with the Money Hacks. And then after that on Friday with another dose of Foolish Insight. Full on. Full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.